Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. Yes, we're recording. It's getting dark already. You guys notice that? It's like, I don't mind that. You don't mind that? It's no. a good excuse to not have to go out and like... Uh, yeah. Right, just like... turn the lights on. <laughs> so. It's just appropriate this time of year. Let's put it that way. I suppose. To bring the firewood in. That's the next step. So, mm-hmm. you know, break those leaves. Big time fall. Our leaves don't fall until like Christmas, though. Not your yards, but never noticed that. Yeah, it's, a du- it's, it's a double cleanup. <laughs> yeah. Although we're going to take Brendan's suggestion this year. I told Adam to get the yeah. lawnmower out and just keep mowing them. Exactly. I don't know. I don't know. But we have so many. I mean, we are in the woods. So do you have oaks? Yeah. Yeah. Oaks are tough because the leaves have a lot of tannins, so they take a while to decompose. It could be like mm. three years instead of one year. They're also Ooh. some of them are giant too. You know, they're like it's massive. I don't know. I don't know. That'll be another column. Why are my leaves so big? <laughs> so, that's your job. All right. Well, we're back again. Good to see everyone. And that was uh, Bill Sutton that you heard at the top of the podcast. Hey, you, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also here's Brendan O'Reilly. Hi, Brendan. Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. I'm Brendan O'Reilly. I'm the deputy managing editor. And Joe Shaw's back with us today. I'm hey, back. You're back. Hey, hey, Annette. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And I'm Annette Hinkle. I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also, we have another guest with us this week, and that's Maria Moore. And Maria is currently the West Hampton Beach Village Mayor, but she's soon taking on another job, which is Town Supervisor of Southampton. Hey, Maria, how are you? Hi, pleasure to be here with you all. Congratulations on the election. Thank you. Are you glad that's behind you? I'm very glad. (laughs) The campaigning was not an easy thing. I didn't uh, expect a lot of things that occurred, but that election night was such a relief to have it over. And um, I didn't know how I was going to feel. Was it going to be an oh no moment or, you know, winning? How would that feel? And Mm -hmm. uh, but it actually I felt calm knowing that it was over. And now I knew that I have this job to do and I know what I'm going to do. So there was not any panic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So where were you on election night? Where did you celebrate? We went to the Canoe Place Inn. I had been there recently and, uh, you know, they renovated it and it was beautiful. And there's a room that's a library and uh, with big stuffed chairs and couches. And it looked like a comfortable place to wait for the results to come in. Yeah. And your family was with you, right? Yes. My two daughters were home and my husband. And um, it was a long night because something was wrong with the when the results were coming in. It was it seemed like the numbers went up pretty quickly, but then they didn't change. And when the districts kept reducing the number of districts outstanding, the numbers weren't changing. So when it finally said all the districts reported 
and the numbers were the same, I thought, well, something's wrong, you know, and they said, no, you won. I thought, wait a minute, something's not right here. Mm -hmm. But I don't, so I don't know what, what it was going on with that. And that affected all races, because I was watching the Suffolk County executive that night, I was watching your race, I was watching East Hampton, and it would say that 14,000 votes had been cast and counted in Southampton, and that's about as many votes as you'd expect, 14,000. I think that's right for Southampton, unless I'm confusing it with East Hampton. So you would expect that to be 100% of votes counted, 100% of districts reporting, but for some reason, it would say only 30% of districts are reporting, so you could have done an acceptance speech probably two or three hours earlier, but <laughs> something went quacky. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So now you're, now your job, I mean, that must be really interesting. It's like you, you went from running as a candidate to now having the job. So um, I'm curious how your, how your job description has changed from candidate to actual um, supervisor elect. Well, there's a lot of things I want to wrap up at the village. And mm-hmm. the, my, the people there were teasing me the other day because it was like we sch- I scheduled so many meetings throughout the day because there's just a lot of I've got a long list and a short list. If I can get through that short list, I'll be happy um, just to make sure things get done before I leave. And has, um, there, has there been any talk about what's going to happen with the with the mayor's seat in the village? Is there going to be an appointment or a special election? Well, the way it works is that the board members, the four trustees will have to vote on who's going to finish my term. My term expires, you know, the the end of May. So um, depending on how many of them are interested in it, you know, and the others will vote and that'll determine. And if it's a tie, then the deputy mayor, Ralph Urban, will just continue to do the daily responsibilities, um, you know, the administrative things that need to get done until they come to a decision. Do you actually have to resign from being the village mayor? I'm assuming there must be some sort of law, but it's interesting. You didn't go from like town council to town supervisor. You went from the village to the town. And I wonder if maybe it's a New York state law that you can't be a village mayor and a town supervisor. Well, our village attorney told me uh, technically I could do both, but I don't think that would be fair to anybody. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to get sworn into the town on January 1st and I'll resign from the village effective at, you know, 1159 on December 31st. So that, um, but then, then the trustees won't be able to vote on who the next mayor will be until there's a vacancy. So they can't do that until after the end of the year. And uh, so there'll be a few days anyway in between when there's no mayor, technically. I have one more question on this front. Does the new mayor who's appointed have to come from the village board or could the board appoint somebody from the community to serve as mayor? They could appoint someone from the community. But I assume they'll they'll want to probably promote somebody from the village board, I would guess. Yeah. Yes. I don't, you know, that's not likely that they would go outside. Although when one of them becomes mayor, then there'll be a vacancy and that Mm -hmm. person will be able to appoint someone from the community to fill the seat. And then there'll be the regular election in June. Right. 
So how have you um, been working on coming up to speed with what's, how are things going to change when you get to town hall? You know, are there things that you're, that you're studying up on now um, or looking into that, um, that you maybe you hadn't been that familiar with that, you know, is going to become a big part of your new job? Well, I have the budget right here. That's about four inches thick. Uh-oh. <laughs> so I have that uh, on my dining room table and um I'm going in to meet on Monday, all the department heads. Jay is going to, you know, introduce me to everybody. And one of the first things I'll do in January is to meet with each of the department heads individually, just to hear, you know, how their departments run and what they think could be better. And just, um, and then we'll set up meetings that we can all meet together. Cause I think it's important for the department heads to, you know, collectively meet as well as individually. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing I, I thought I, I would like to do is to uh, att- go to each of the uh, CAC meetings and all the civic association meetings, reach out right away and go to, um, and just, you know, have my paper with me and my pen and just listen to what they want to say. I'm not there to tell them anything. I want to hear really just listen to what they are concerned about. And That's brave. Well, I remember when I first um, got elected as mayor in 2014, one of the things I did was I sent out invitations to all the Main Street merchants and property owners because I I knew there was a lot of, uh, you know, concerns floating about and they felt like they hadn't been listened to. And that's what people said to me too at Village Hall. Oh, you shouldn't do that. That's not going to end well. And, but it actually did. They were so excited to be have been invited in and just sit there and listen and take notes and hear what they had to say. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a good start. It, it's got to be exciting moving forward. But I was I actually attended a, a West Campton Beach Village board work session the other night and you had um, mentioned that um, that it was a little um, that that you were feeling uh, you were going to be missing the village a little bit too. Obviously, you're still a resident, but it, it's got to be a little um, uh, uh, you know emotions on both sides there. Yeah, it is emotional because uh, you know I just love this village and I put so much of myself into it these last nine years, and um, I wanted to keep on continuing to grow in a positive way and and I think I'm leaving it in good hands um but I'll be watching I told them (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you you mentioned that you're glad the campaign is over there was a fairly high profile situation that came up with a mailing that went out that I know Cindy McNamara, uh, your opponent took very personally. And I think you went out of your way and and we wrote about the background about what happened with that mailer. It didn't come from your campaign. It came from a third party that I, I think you took pains to say you really had nothing to do with that mailer, right? That, that was not done through your campaign. It, it was not. And I, I, I just would never have done anything like that because I I want I wanted to run this campaign just based on my own experience and every mailer that went out from from my party and my team was positive and it only focused on my experience and background 
And so it was very disappointing to know that this these other mailers were going out. And and of course, the you know, people are going to think that I'm behind it or endorsing it. And I and I wasn't. And it it, it did put a bit of a taint on things. It's got to be frustrating, frustrating for you, you know, because you have to deal with the fallout from that. And you really had no, you know, no involvement in that. That's got to be frustrating. It is. And. You know, um, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I did make a call to Cindy and I left a message. It was only just today. And I hope she calls me back and that we can talk through things and move forward because, um, you know, we each have one vote and I, I don't want her to think that her voice won't be valued because it will be. And I think that we'll be able to work together and we need to work together to accomplish things. And, you know, when I saw the meeting from Tuesday, I, there was a great deal of frustration, you know, on her part on several things. And, and I could appreciate why she felt that way. And so when I do get an opportunity to speak with her, I'm going to tell her that it's, it's not going to be that way. We're, you know, we're all want to respect each other's opinions and work together. Do you want to say what the nature of the mailer was and what it was saying? Well, do we yeah, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with it because I think it's something that we that I think we do need to move past. But um, Robert Rubin, who is the owner of the bridge, it's a golf course, paid yeah. for the, the golf course up in uh, Noyak, um, right. sent the mailer out and made some accusations about Cindy that I think she objected to that she said were were inaccurate and you know i think the the point that i found really intriguing with this is that the town race has been sort of getting more outside money put into it mm. but some of it comes from like the county parties and we saw this with village races too where the county uh political uh machines basically were putting money into local races uh, and I don't think necessarily they did that with the local candidates permission or coordination or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So this was actually not that this was just a third party person uh, who spent the money to, to do that. But it's it's intriguing to me that that even at the town level, those kinds of things are happening, especially when yeah. I think it's fair to say that both Cindy and Maria did seem like they were trying very hard to keep mm -hmm. the race positive and keep it from becoming a finger pointing situation both of them really did make their case for themselves and and i think that was true in in both of their uh yeah. campaigns i feel like at east hampton we saw a little bit of that i noticed on facebook there was an or a group that seemed to be um kind of lambasting the current town board mm -hmm. who ended up getting reelected, um, but just sort of slamming them over, you know, the airport or other issues. And um, inevitably all the comments were like, why don't you say who you are? Who's behind this Facebook page? And they never really did. So yeah, it was a little strange and um, nobody seemed, you know, they, I think they tried to present themselves as being a local group or organization or group of people, but um, they would never actually fess up to who they were. Mm -hmm. So um, and yeah, it, things are changing out there. What's interesting to me is it goes back to Maria as the new supervisor is going to have to deal with fallout from that too. And, and you know, mm -hmm, it's just mm -hmm. part of part of the business, I guess. Well, you know, it's upsetting that people think, well, you know, he spent all that money. You can see what he spent based on the Board of Elections recording. 
texts and uh, reportings. And he, you know, oh, and people think I wouldn't have won without the infusion of the money. But, you know, I disagree with that. I mean, money doesn't win campaigns. I mean, look what happened with the county executive race. So mm -hmm. it's um, it was disappointing that now there's an issue, you know, yeah. when it could have been clean, cleaner. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. Can we jump over to talking about policy priorities or do you want to keep going no, on this? Let's talk policies <laughs> for sure. So go ahead. Go ahead. I thought you had one. <laughs> yeah, well, well uh, I, I mean, I guess that is the question. What, what's your priority when you get in there? What's your uh, first move? Well, as I said, I do want to, you know, meet with all the CACs and civic associations and, and all the department heads, of course, that's the priority. But I really want to, for, for myself, find out exactly what's happening with the Riverside sewer project, find out, you know, where's the funding, how much is there, where's, you know, where are they exactly? Um, and the same thing with the park in Riverside, because I think those are a couple of things that have been on the drawing board for maybe 10 years. And and I know that from watching the, the town board meetings that they've been moving ahead in certain ways on that project, both of those projects. But, you know, what was really the status? And I like to get into the details. Um, the other thing is Hampton Bays and, you know, they really need uh, to put some of these controversies to rest with respect to their downtown revitalization and the sewers there as well. Have you spoken with folks in Hampton Bays? I have. I've met with, you know, many little groups of them along the way during the campaign. And even when the um, the new board of the Civic Association was elected, um, and even though they publicly you know, spoke out in favor of Cindy, I communicated with them and asked if they wanted to have lunch. And, and we did meet for lunch and we talked for an hour. Five of them were there and I thought it was a pretty productive conversation. I just want them to know, you know, everyone really, that um, I represent all of them, whether they voted for me or not. And, you know, we're going to make some good progress. I just know it. There's a trust factor with Hampton Bays right now, right? I mean, you're coming in at a time when I feel like Hampton Bays folks really don't trust town government very much. Yeah, well, that's true. But I, I do think that meeting with people individually and in, or in small groups uh, is the way to go. And I, I think once they meet with me and talk with me, they'll know that I'm uh, sincere in my wanting to help move them forward and to achieve their goals. I mean, this is really 
it's not ego for me. I just want to help. And, um, and if that can come across to them and we can establish some trust, I think we can get a lot of calm. I'm curious when you're talking to people in Hampton Bays, specifically about the proposal to sort of remake the north side of Main Street and create sort of a little, uh, a, a little new, I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of a new square that would create some housing, create some retail uses and sort of connect the downtown stretch uh, of the business district with the park. I'm curious coming from Ham West Hampton Beach where you did sort of a re-envisioning of your downtown. Do you have a special perspective for the people in Hampton Bays to sort of say, listen, this is the kind of project that really can work and really can pump some new life into a downtown. Is that something you would say, or, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, is that something, a message that you would have for them? I would say that's exactly what I would say, you know, and I, I know there's some people that say, we don't want to be a little replica of West Hampton beach. We have our own identity. And so this is what our, my village wanted at the time. Maybe they want something a little different, but getting, some of it off of the main highway since it, you know, the main street is a highway, so it's different. We're in West Hampton, it's more off the beaten path. So I like the idea of taking the side streets off of the highway and pulling them back towards the park um, and, and allowing more foot traffic to the park. And I think the big concern is the density and they're the densest hamlet and they don't want to see a lot more growth, but there has to be compromised positions, right? There's got to be a little bit of growth, you know, not as much maybe as was proposed, but I, I don't think anybody really minds having some apartments above the stores as long as they're not apartment buildings that are going in. And I agree with that. So I really do feel confident that we're going to be able to find a way to move that forward. That, that's something that um, that you envisioned for West Hampton Beach as well. And, and I, I know that um, um, at least one of the business owners of Salt and Loft is, is taking that step forward now because of, of the sewer project and, and the, the revitalization of Main Street. So it's something that maybe you have some perspective about to have those um, apartments and maybe affordable apartments above some businesses and stores in 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 other areas mm -hmm. that's right um but i i mean you, you talk a lot about about um compromise and, and talking to different groups and um i'm just I, i'm just wondering if if you're if you're prepared for um, some of the areas and including maybe maybe hampton bays where where as joe said there is that that distrust where compromise doesn't come come easy. And I and I know that that's one of your your skill sets to, you know, to bring groups together. I'm I'm just um curious how that's gonna gonna shape out in areas where Hampton in, in Hampton Bay is where compromise doesn't come easy for, you know, for some of, of those groups, um, especially with the distrust of 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 downtown government where they have a, a very distinct vision of what they want to see in in their hamlet and and they they kind of feel you know i think sometimes like town government are, are, are interlopers coming in with um with grand visions and ideas i'm wondering how you uh, again uh, how, how you bridge some of those divides 
Well, I will say that I had a meeting with the, the entire Civic Association in Hampton Bays early on. And, and you know, people were saying, no, oh, it's going to be a tough group. You know, they're angry. And uh, but they were so welcoming and they seemed very thirsty for knowledge and information. And they wanted to know so many details about how we did the Main Street project and what, you know, all the all the details they wanted to know. And they wanted to know about the sewer and where did the money come from and how did we do it? And I love talking about those two projects. So <laughs> it was a very nice conversation. And it was um I didn't just stand up there telling them about myself. It was more, they asked questions, I answered, it was back and forth and um, I felt good about it. And I think they did too. So I would just continue on the same vein. I mean, there's gonna be some people that are, you know, you're not gonna be able to please everybody when we were trying to put the sewer in. Um, you know, some people in, in the village said, you should put this out for a public vote. And we weren't required to do that. It's just not something you have to do um, in the village for that kind of a project. And so we thought, well, you know, why would we do that? You you elected us and we've done all the research. You couldn't possibly take the time needed to do all the research and meet with the engineers yourselves. That's what we're doing. And so we, we're presenting it to you and, and, and asking you to trust us that this is the appropriate next step. And so... It, once again, it does all come back to trust. Well, they can do the research. They can do the research. They have Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. But yeah, so it's just going to be a matter of time, but hopefully not too much time because, you know, it's a two-year term, so every day counts. Hi, this is Ellen Duogardi. I'm the director of events for the Express News Group. I'm also the president of the Sag Harbor Chamber of Commerce. Community really matters to all of us at this company. I know it's a good part of why I'm here. We've hosted more than 50 of our Express Sessions events in Southampton, East Hampton, and Sag Harbor, focusing on issues that matter most to residents of the East End. We bring the most important government and community leaders and topic experts together in one room, and we often find answers to complicated questions, and we grow stronger together. This all takes staff time and company resources, but it's our job, and I'm happy to say we really love our work. But we can't do it without our subscribers. If this kind of community work is important to you, you can support it by becoming a subscriber. To subscribe, visit 27east.com slash subscribe, and thank you. I'm curious, Maria, you know, you mentioned Riverside's been talking about sewers for a very long time. Southampton Village, obviously, I love the story that Southampton Village was talking about sewers and they brought a consultant in and you said, hey, do you mind if I talk to your consultant? And then you guys got your sewers done while Southampton Village is still sitting pat. Montauk has been struggling to get something done. What's the secret sauce to get it done? Like both, you know, you got both the Main Street project and a sewer project done. Those are the kinds of projects that sort of sit and don't get acted on in a lot of communities. What's the secret to pushing those through in a way that 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 you are able to actually get them done? And I mean, that's a legitimate question. I, I don't know what it is that you did differently. Obviously every circumstance is unique, but there were obviously really cha real challenges for West Hampton Beach that the idea of hooking into the, the Gabreski sewage plant was around for a long time, more than 10 years, and, and nothing happened with it. How, what's the secret of getting these big things done? 
Well, that's a very interesting question. And I never actually thought about how I just did it. You know, as a team, we moved, moved the projects forward. I would have to say that um, the secret is to doing the research and meeting with the experts like the engineers and taking advice and um, just being very diligent about making sure that people are doing what they say they're going to do. I mean, one of the things I realized from sitting in on the Southampton Village meetings was that um, you need to be able to show the community what the benefits are, real benefits. So we hired uh, Dr. Gobler from Stony Brook and asked him to do a study for us to show what's going to happen if we put the sewers in, how is it going to benefit? And, you know, with armed with that information, which was 5,000 pounds of nitrogen a year would be eliminated. You know, that that's serious stuff. That's, that's persuasive. And the other thing that we did that, because people seemed very concerned, I could tell about the density, you know, we don't want high rises going up on main street. So we made sure we did, we did our uh, comprehensive plan and kept the zoning in place, two-story buildings. We made an exception. If somebody wanted to put a little hotel on main street, it could go to three stories. So if you really look at things and in a detailed way and um, anticipate what what is going to be what could be a roadblock and then deal with it in, up front, that's what helps. And just always, um, you know, I have the ticklers in my calendar all the time to call the engineer back. Did this happen? Did that happen? And and I think reporting to the board and keeping the trustees fully informed and, you know, just getting the support of everybody. But that's, I don't know if that's responsive to your question, but those are some of the things that I, um, you know, also the grant money. We, I did some of the grants myself at first, and then I realized this is like an overwhelming amount of paperwork that has to get submitted in support of the grants. It's one thing to get the grant approved and it's quite another to follow through with everything else that needs to be done. So we have a grant writer that she's just wonderful, Jennifer Messiano, and she, um, you know, she's always there for us. And we've been so successful and it's the perfect time to get this water quality money. Um, so I think that that bodes well for the Hampton Bays and Riverside projects. And, and it was persistence. It was persistence too, right? I mean, the, the the county wasn't very eager to have you tie into um, um, the, the the sewer and, and, and you know at Gabreski, and and you had to go back a few times, right? That's right. They did say no, and they said no at first, and um, you know, people. Um, it is just the trust there too. I mean, we got pretty far along in the process after they said yes, and we put in the application and got conceptual approval. Um, there was a lot of work to be done with the engineers and the design and the mapping plan. And um, I don't think the county really thought we were doing it because then it came time to create this connection agreement. And you know, I think they were surprised that we had gotten as far along as we had. And that took a whole year to negotiate because they hadn't done an arrangement like this before where they allowed a village to connect. Um, but it's just, I think the word is persistence and determination and, 
you know, I'll bring both of those things to the town to make sure those projects get done too. I never thought I'd know this much about sewers. <laughs> you're you're going to have to learn about <laughs> affordable housing and, and traffic too, which, which are mm -hmm. two, two issues you haven't had to deal a lot with in the village, but certainly are, are priorities for, um, for, for the town. Um, what, what are your, your, your visions for affordable housing using, um, I, I mean, there's a great team at, at, at Town Hall, Karabakh and, and all that, but what do you envision moving forward to, to address the affordable housing crisis and using the CHF money? Well, I've known Kara for a long time and I've uh, watched um, her speak at a couple of meetings recently where she gave pretty thorough description of where they were with the um, points they wanted to hit and the things they wanted, to, you know, an outline of where they wanted to go with the funds. And, um, you know, they're starting to come in. And I think the expectation will be close to a million dollars a month. That's what they um, suggested in the last meeting anyway, where she spoke. And, you know, I like the idea of down payment assistance and mortgage assistance and, um, you know, so I would look forward to sitting with her and, and delving deeper into that. And I, what I'd like to do also is get a, get a better sense of, uh, I'm sure the planning department could provide this, of wh what properties have been preserved, where is the affordable housing right now, and, you know, what's the overall plan, more of a comprehensive look at the town as a whole to see what would best help in terms of traffic. I mean, if we're trying to reduce the traffic and people can't afford to live where they work, then, you know, it seems like the answer is that there should be more affordable options further east. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's some annex of, you know, town hall in the west to help, at least for, for that. For town employees. Yeah, for town employees. Oh, I wonder, Maria, when, so it's November, you got a month until you're actually in office. When you're looking ahead now, is your, is your focus right now just kind of, I want to get in there and get comfortable and talk to people and, and sort of get my footing? It, or is there something that maybe we haven't touched on yet that's sort of a thing you want to do first that that maybe a passion project whether it's something big or small it might be might be something small but is there something you want to do first or is it really just a matter of kind of getting your bearings well you know there i do have to get my bearings because i um but i don't think it'll take long i want to meet everyone and i want to as i said get with each department head right away so that would be the first thing um, can we go back to the sewers question really quickly? I just was curious, you know, if you're able to get a sewer system in Riverside and Flanders, how would that change the the community along there? I was just, you know, is it solely about um, keeping pollution out of the bay or does that also change the equation of the kind of development that may or may not happen along that whole stretch? I think the answer is both. You know, it certainly would clean up the water quality and allow for some additional housing and development. Um, and also, I wonder if the answer to connect or have some sort of coordination with Riverhead is a real no, or 
you know, is there room there to talk? Because as I mentioned before, when I first went to Suffolk County, the answer was no. So um, maybe there's some relief there that could come to, from- to, to tie into their, their story yeah. that you're talking. Yeah, I would just wouldn't want to dismiss an, any option, you know, without exploring it first. Well, you had to make a deal with the county, right? I mean, you had to pay for upgrades there. Maybe maybe there's a possible agreement with Riverhead. That's what I'm thinking. But, you know, maybe the town's already pursued that. I don't know that. But if they haven't, it, it's worthwhile looking at because, I mean, the county facility at Cabreski didn't have the capacity for uh, the flow that we wanted to send. So we made it, you know, that was part of the agreement that we would um, upgrade their plant. And, it, you know, so it was worth it. So we didn't have to buy our, uh, construct our own plant. But but to, to Annette's question, I mean, Riverhead has done a tremendous job along the waterfront um, and, and their main street and development. And it looks, as a Riverhead resident, um, it, it looks it looks really nice and, and Riverside had obviously had the opportunity to, um, you know, to to do hasn't had the opportunity to do the same because of, of the sewer issues. But um, the town, Southampton town has really fallen behind with with that development. And, and I think that um, um, if if the revitalization of, of Flanders and Riverside did occur, I mean, the, the town could could maybe match Riverhead a little bit. And, and then you've got a, a super corridor on on both sides looking good, um, you know, commercially and, and for housing as well. I completely agree. And I think it just, um, you know, there's a lot going on. I'm not going to criticize the current administration, but I'm just going to say that I will give it the dedication and perseverance that I've shown in my own village to make sure that things get done. There's just, you have to just take things apart and um, just be willing to, you know, be very diligent about next steps. So I know you're not in office yet, but I'm really curious what kind of phone calls and emails you've been receiving from people now that you are going to be um, the supervisor of Southampton and, and what you're hearing from your soon-to-be constituents? Well, people, I'm getting mostly all very positive feedback. Um, you know, as you know, there's a couple of negative things, letters to the editor, but that's been the case throughout. Um, but uh, people seem pretty excited, and and I am too. Uh, I've gotten a lot of congratulation calls and cards and um and I've had some phone calls with the people on that were also elected that night in the town, and and everybody's pretty eager to get started. I got to ask you, Maria, am I correct? And I think I am. That all five towns will have a brand new supervisor. You are correct, and I think that's the first time it's happened, and I don't know how long. That is really amazing. So. As a resident of the East End, should I be terrified? Should I be excited because we have a whole new wave of people coming in? I mean, that's that is pretty remarkable when the the, the circumstances align just to to create that kind of situation. You're going to have five freshman supervisors. I'm curious whether that's exciting for you. I mean, that's pretty cool for somebody who's coming in as a freshman supervisor that you aren't coming in at the bottom of the barrel. You're coming in right on the same level with all of your colleagues. 
-hmm. Well, I think uh, it is very exciting and it's not, uh, it's not scary because look at the people that are coming in. I mean, Al Krupski, he's got so much experience as the county legislator and we've had, you know, at these East End supervisors and mayors meetings, you know, he's always there. I'm always there. So there's continuity in that regard. And I'm not downplaying the size of the job. It's a big job. But we're all familiar and dedicated to our communities. So I think it's, you know, and Kathy Burke Gonzalez, right? She was um, she um, was on the board already. So in East Hampton and it's uh it's going to be interesting you know we're going to continue to have the meetings every other month this next month is um in december will be our last eastern supervisors and mayors meeting of the the year and um you know it would be sad to say goodbye to everybody some of them aren't really happy to be leaving but mm -hmm. they don't have a choice right but uh we'll try to carry on in their footsteps and do good things when 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 we talked to Kathy Burke Gonzalez last week, um, she she saw her election um, as as the, the as as a a female uh, town supervisor as as empowering, and certainly there have been um, uh, female town supervisors in Southampton, Anna Thorne Host recently, um, Linda Cabot, but. But is there an element of, of that for, for you too? I mean, you've got you've got daughters. Um, do, do you see it as empowering to be a, a female town supervisor or, or, or is there no difference? Well, I don't think about it that much um, because I was the first woman mayor in the village and that was, you know, back in 2014. So at the time it seemed like it was, you know, important to me at that time, but um, now I'm just so used to it that I don't really think about it. But I know that my daughters are very proud of me and the work I've done. And um, so to the extent that it's an inspiration to other women and young girls, I'm very happy for that. So has Jay Schneiderman given you any um, words of wisdom or advice that you can share um, on the podcast with us? Just that he's invited me to come over to town hall on Monday and he's going to take me and introduce me to each of the department heads and, and we're starting in Hampton Bays and then moving on to town hall. Has he been helpful? Uh, yeah, throughout the process. Sure. We, um, you know, we didn't talk too often. It was. We really were trying to run our own campaign and not. Um, be tied too much to what was happening with the current administration. But they have accomplished, they did accomplish a lot of good things while in office and um, they can be proud of that. Is Jay coming back as, as town manager? Oh, I've heard that rumor too. <laughs> that's one of the things that's floated, <laughs> been floated out there. It has been floated. I don't know where that started, but it's not true. I'm sure he would be willing to help if he were asked but I, I think that that might undermine my um, ability to ha have my own, you know, direction. So that's not anything that's, that's just a rumor. I'm sure he's got other plans. I don't know what they are. I did read an article the other day that uh, he's looking at the deputy county executive. So we'll see about that. 
So speaking of changing directions from what Jay had planned, uh, Jay was pretty forceful in pushing for the the Coast Guard housing in unincorporated West Hampton to become affordable housing through one means or another, whether that be apartments or homes with accessory apartments, um, where the accessory apartments would be affordable rentals and the homes would be affordable owner-occupied homes. So there's a lot of different directions that could be taken in, but one direction is to just do nothing and let the federal government sell it to a private buyer who's going to bring in their own plan. And now that Jay is going to be out of the equation there, are you going to pick up the baton that he was running with, or are you going to go in a different direction? My concern about that property is that it's in the core of the Pine Barren. So I really don't want to see too much development there. Um, I know that there's a need for the, the housing. It's clear, but I think we need to um, just really think about where, where's the more appropriate places for things to go. Um, that doesn't mean that... It, so right now, as of right, I believe it could just be two houses the way it is now. So that's not... Um, I, I would support having it be um there's is there 26 units not 26 units but 26 buildings i think 26 single family homes would make the surrounding community happy and provide additional housing right now but again you know i'm just one vote and i would want to speak with the board and have work sessions and talk about how we should address it so when you say 26 homes you mean like 26 homes bought by a private developer who's going to sell them to individuals? Well, or the town, you know, the town. I don't know where they are with that, if that's still on. I know that the the sale um, was suspended indefinitely, but, you know, it's possible if the town were to buy it, that it would be 26 um, homes rather than 52 units. I mean, that's... Although somebody also said, well, it's the same burden on the property because if it's a four bedroom home or two two bedroom units, you know, I guess it all depends on the composition. And if the town were to buy it, there would have to be a way for them to be uh, affordable. Um, and, and I don't know how you would do that with, with buildings that size if they were single family. Right. Um, you know, they do have provisions where you can sell a house for up to $507,000 to somebody making 130% of the area median income. So if they could get the price down for each of those 26 houses, and maybe they're going to be 26 four bedroom houses sold for $500,000 each, they would just need to find a way to subsidize the other 200 or 300,000 that those would probably go for on the open market, or actually I should say higher, because I think it goes for 700,000 to get half a duplex in the Hampton West estates. So probably 1, 1.4 million if you were actually getting the whole unit and not just uh, a duplex. I find talking about them very complicated because what's one duplex? Is one duplex two units or is that one unit divided into, or, or I try to be precise when I did, uh, describe these things and write about them. I also, I wonder how many four bedroom units we really need to, to address the crisis. I mean, there are big families and I'm sure there are some of those units mm -hmm. would be helpful, but you could make the argument that 
two 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 bedroom units are going to be a lot more helpful than one four bedroom unit. I think I think that's right. That's right. So if the strain, if the impact on the property is the same, if it's twenty six or fifty two, as long as the the number of bedrooms is the same, then um, you know that that mm -hmm. seems workable. I think I see it though as a more of a short term thing for people because most of us need our equity in our homes to use towards retirement. So these um, properties, you know, will always remain affordable. And um, I know that the, the town is saying that, you know, you can take a little bit of like the consumer price index increase out of it, but uh, maybe it's just, you know, people buy them and they stay there for a while in order to, save up for something else and then they leave and then someone else moves in to keep it affordable but otherwise you know that's a problem when it comes to building equity and not not being able to have something to retire with mm -hmm. it's complicated it sure is i mean i'm glad they have the committee formed in the community housing fund and um, i'm very interested to get involved with that see what solutions can be put out you're going to have to hit the ground running. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, like I said, it's only a two-year term, so i got to get a lot done. Every day counts. <laughs> she looks ready, doesn't she, guys? <laughs> As I said, I'm just excited that we'll be able to yeah, fit the town supervisor's name yeah. in a headline. Because Schneiderman was a real challenge. More, I think we may be able to get in a headline now. <laughs> so um, I, I guess fi maybe final question. Um, so, so Jay Schneiderman is is a musician. He's a he's a drummer and he's a songwriter. And and we had him on a podcast where he, you know, he played his uh, a Christmas Carol about a about a year ago. Do you you bringing any musical talent to Town Hall, Maria? I'm afraid not. Oh. <laughs> I know. That was actually a pretty good song. I got to tell you, it was. It was very good. Jay's a good drummer too. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we could ask him if we could like play it again on our final podcast of the year. <laughs> I think we're going to ask you to work on your drumming, yeah. Maria. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, musical a musical supervisor. Yeah, let's see. It's another skill set. We'll get you a kazoo. Yeah, <laughs> somebody said something recently that was kind of interesting that um, they wanted to have people walking walking like a walking group right and um uh, this one individual sent it to jay and me and sunday and a few other people were on the email and i thought you know they wanted to go on the palm cog bridge side to side every you know couple times a week maybe and i thought that's kind of interesting steps with the supervisor has a nice ring to it there you go yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You got your marching orders, so to speak. So, all right, we're going to look for that one in the new year. Mm -hmm. We appreciate we appreciate your time, Maria. Well, thank With you. Best of luck. Thanks. We'll keep in touch, and I'll let you know. Well, now I'm sure the town has their own press release department, unlike the village where I had never remembered to actually send information out. So, you know, you'll be aware of everything that's going on. Nah, just talk to us. <laughs> okay, it's, it's easier that way. 
27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.